There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. Well, we have a wonderful guest today. Henry Kimsey House is one of the first professional coaches starting in the 1980s and is the co-founder and lead designer of the Coactive Training Institute's provocative experiential learning programs. He's also the co-author of Coactive Coaching and Coactive Leadership. An actor since age nine, Henry honed his insights into human emotions and the narrative process through classical theatrical training and years of stage, television, and film experience. With a deep conviction that education should be driven by immersive, contextually-based learning and not the dry informational dumps, Henry is committed to creating richly engaging and transformative learning environments where retention approaches 80% rather than the traditional 20%. Henry continues to develop new innovative curriculum and collaborate with other dynamic thought leaders. And along with his wife and partner, Karen, has written Coactive Leadership now in its second edition. So welcome, Henry, to It's All About Skills. Wow, it's great to be here, Charlie. (laughs) Well, it's good to see you, my friend. But before we take a deep dive into your role in creating the Coactive Training Institute, we'll call it, we may refer to this as CTI, Let's go back a few years. Tell us about your background, you know, where you grew up and where you went to school uh, and that sort of thing. Well, I, I grew, I'm a Midwestern boy, Charlie. I grew up in uh, Ohio, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. <laughs> and <laughs> I went to, uh, I, I went uh, through high school in Wisconsin. That was where, and that's where I really started getting involved in both in high school and under high school in like elementary school uh, with theater. Uh, And then I went on to sort of suck the theater departments dry of three different colleges. Uh, (laughs) Went to uh, um, Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon. Then I went to uh, University of Tennessee in Chattanooga. Then I went to University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire. Uh, From that point on, then I left, all of my professors said, okay, you've taken enough theater courses now. Now you need to go be an actor in, in New York. And so I headed off to New York in uh, 1973 or four. <laughs> and then, then I started uh, pursuing an acting career in New York along with all the other things that actors do. You know, I drove taxi cab and I was a bouncer in a disco and I did, <laughs> did a bunch and, of- other and, and waited on a few tables, I'm sure. Probably, yeah. No, I actually didn't wait on tables. It was the only thing I didn't do. I, I was a bartender. For a a bartender. <laughs> Well, when you look back at those uh, experiences through uh, your uh, your your experiences in college and so forth, 
What do you consider to be the most important skills that you learned during that educational experience? Well, it first started out actually in, um, in grade school and in uh, junior high. I, I really learned that uh, class participation, experiential uh, learning was much more interesting to me than all of the learning of facts and data and that kind of stuff. I it just, I, I just much more loved being in a conversation in class. That was the first big piece of my formulation. Then I went off to, like I said, I went off to study theater in uh, high school and college, colleges. And uh, um, I discovered that with theater, especially studying acting and, and all of the stuff around making a play happen, uh, you learn about the human nature from inside it rather than observing it. You actually get inside of a character and you learn about human behavior, human emotions, human stuff like that from actually getting inside of another person and that kind of listening. So listening is a crucial element of acting, being able to listen to your cues and that kind of thing. And so listening is a core skill that I started developing back then and then uh, really worked on developing not only uh, the skill for myself, but also learning how to teach the skill. Because remarkably, most people don't know how to listen. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure, Henry. <laughs> so, so now what, what, what really motivated you to get into the performing arts? Um, well, my dad took, when I was nine years old, my dad took me to an audition for Oliver. Uh, he was in the speech and hearing department at the, at the university as a professor. And uh, he, he knew I loved to sing and that kind of stuff. And so here was a nine-year-old and he took me to the audition for Oliver and I got in the play and I, I started studying. I started, I had a great opportunity to play in the play. And then uh, the teacher, the professor, his name is Manlove, I think, doc, Dr. Manlove. He started running a class for the kids that were in, in Oliver. And we started doing all these wonderful experiential exercises and um, attention exercises, listening exercises, and it hooked me. And from that age, from nine on, I knew that I was going to be in the theater. You, you know? were in it, you were in it. And so, you know, as you were in New York, uh, you know, being a bouncer and bartending and that sort of stuff, tell us a little bit about your first career experiences actually in the world of performing arts. Well, the first career experiences were uh, like a lot of actors in New York, um, what were what extra work and day players in commercials and on soap operas and that kind of stuff. And, and then some regional theater. I did some Shakespeare in Alabama and other places that I auditioned for in, uh, in, in New York. And then I got a move, my first movie uh, with Woody Allen was my first oh. sort of big gig. Uh, with Woody Allen. It's it a movie that hardly anyone's seen called Stardust Memories, but you'll see me in the scene where all the crazy people are waiting for the Martians to land. So. Oh, I'll look for that. I'll look for that, Henry. I'll look for that. Is it on Netflix? Probably. I'll, I'll yeah. take a look for it, you know. And, you know, and, and as your experience uh, in the world of acting proceeded and that sort of stuff, what would you consider the most important skills that you needed to succeed? You mentioned listening. What are some of the others? Um, listening, um, non-attachment is a huge skill that actors have to have because I, I discovered this as uh, in my comic acting on, in my theater is I got attached to the way I auditioned and was very successful uh, in, in the audition. I got the part, uh, 
But then I was attached to the way I did it. And as the, out of my attachment, I was less and less funny each time. Whereas <laughs> if I would have been able to be present and being not attached, I would have been funny the whole way, you know? Uh, so that began the skill of non-attachment for me. Uh, other great skills are, that I have used since childhood, in fact, it got me in trouble with my mother, who was a very academic woman, was intuition. Mm -hmm. I came up with answers to things with no evidence or proof. You know, at the dinner table, my mom would, and my sister, Jenny, who was also a scholar, uh, would just scream at me for, for not having any proof. They say, it's not true if you don't have proof, you know, so, and yet my intuition was often correct, you know, uh, and so I really learned to value my intuition and, and the importance of intuition as an actor to be able to pull from sort of the atmosphere rather than uh, to pull from some sort of learned behavior only, you know? I see. So those are three very potent skills that then translated into coaching and leadership. Well, speaking yeah. about coaching then, what was your, tell us a little bit about your initial ventures into coaching. How did you arrive there anyway? Well, it started out with, I was a, in New York, I, I transitioned uh, when I was, when I turned 30, I discovered that I, uh, I didn't like the business of acting for myself, but I loved um, supporting other actors in their business. And so I became a career consultant for actors uh, and uh, I joined an organization where they did that. And uh, basically career consulting for actors, actors are about there's a 99.9% .9 unemployment rate or something like that uh, um, for actors. And so when you consult their careers, you're consulting their life. Yeah. And so we work, we work with very basic coaching skills in that career consulting work that I did with actors. And then I met my uh, future partner, Laura Whitworth at a workshop and she started coaching me. And I didn't know this career existed called coaching. And this is in 1987. And she started coaching me and um, uh, I decided after a year of coaching with her that I could leave New York City, which I've been wanting to do for a couple of years and go someplace that I loved living in that had more nature and uh, start open a coaching practice. And so that's what I did. And so I, I just basically took my career consulting skills and the skills that Laura had sort of told, taught me through experience of being my coach and we also studied with a guy named Thomas Leonard at the time, who eventually formed Coach University. Um, and uh, we, we, he was really amazing guy at, he, he, he produced tons of material. He was the kind of person that had the, the 10 best ways to do this and the 21 day program for this. And the, you know, he always would produce tons and tons of material, which wasn't my bailiwick, as you can imagine. I, I was an intuitive coach, you know, more than anything. And, uh, but we learned a lot from him. And uh, eventually, after being a, a really successful coach for the next three years from 88 to 92, um, Laura started bugging me to start help. She's had a bunch of her students, her coach clients, I mean, coaching clients, asking her to teach them what she did. And she knew that I was a really good workshop designer. Uh, and she wasn't a particularly good workshop designer, but she had great material. So we got together and we designed uh, the first grandfather of the uh, our fundamentals course, which is the basic entry level course, uh, coaching course at CTI. Wow. And, you know, 
let me take a step back for a second. And you talk sure. about coaching. And then when you hear the word coaching, some people confuse coaching with therapy. Uh -huh. and, you know, I know you've heard this a million times before, but what do you mean? What are the differences between coaching and therapy? Well, it's interesting. When we came about in the 1980s, when coaching started to emerge in the 80s and the early 90s, uh, what was what was needed by our, us boomers you know at the time yeah. uh we we'd all done therapy we'd all been in businesses where there was some sort of consulting business consulting or something like that and there was something in between those two things that wasn't where they're gonna, someone was going to provide answers but it's where someone was going to provide the appropriate motivation and the direction in order to get us to, in order to get the clients come up with their own answers and their own paths and their own directions. And so that was the need for coaching. But the, the main difference between coaching and therapy is that therapy is primarily looking back at your life from a point of view of pathology or problem. Like I have a problem, I'm gonna to go to a therapist and we'll work together looking back at my life and what I did in my life in order to heal that problem or make that problem go away. Coaching doesn't look at it from problems, doesn't look at the situation from problems or the, or the client from problems, looks at instead from opportunities and possibilities. Where does the client want to go? What do they, where, what are their goals? Where do they want, how do they want their life to go? We don't look, we don't try to solve their problems. We try to instead work with them on going where they want to go. And so it's kind of thing, a lot of times we say, well, okay, so I get that coaching is not like therapy, but how's it not like your mother? <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way, Henry. <laughs> and, and we said basically, your mother has an agenda for you. You know, she she has she has the way she wants you to go in your life, and coaches don't. Coaches only work off of your agenda. You know? <laughs> okay, well now I see this guy who's had terrific experience in the world of the performing arts, uh, both the goods and the bads, and so forth. But you found out that you were a pretty doggone good coach. And you had a good mentor and you had a, and a person who was a, a colleague, Laura, mm -hmm. and uh, you decided to embrace some of the things that were successful for her and her frameworks and so forth and her ability to do workshops and so forth. So you started that business. So uh, what motivated you into creating the what is now known as the Coactive Training Institute? Well, uh, a big motivation was Laura because I was I had just left a business in New York that I lost a lot of money in. And I what I loved about coaching was it's low overhead. You know, all you needed to be a coach was a phone, you know, <laughs> you could, and that was pretty much it, you know. And uh, so, and I, I, got, I got put out of business in this other business in New York because of high overhead, you know, it just, it just knocked us out. Um, and so starting another business was not appealing to me, a business that had overhead and all that kind of stuff. However, Laura was, is a very powerfully convincing person. <laughs> and she eventually, uh, you know, cornered me and said, uh, I need you and we need to do this. And I finally said, yes. And what I was really good at, like I, like I said before, I'm really good at, put, at, at understanding sort of the dramatic arc of a workshop, like how, like a workshop or a training, like what the, how the story needs to unfold. Laura was the kind of person who had a billion ideas, but she wanted to put all of them in the first minute. 
the workshop, you know, and and yet I know that I knew that you could uh, people audiences or participants could only take so much information at a time as they were working through things, you know. Yeah. So uh, that that marriage became very good for us. The two of us got together and uh, married her brilliant ideas with my understanding of, uh, of of the story and how things unfolded and my ideas. Um, and together we created that something we later much later named contextually based, experientially driven transformative learning. We were interested in, in not just creating more information in people, we were interested in creating some transformation, some changes, like having people learn how to, how to coach and how to listen, how to be with other people instinctively, rather than try to look at their checklists, you know? And yeah. so we created, we created uh, um, began to create an education system or a training system that did that. You created something that uh, that you called uh, coactive coaching. So before we go any further, what is this coactive thing you're talking about? What is coactive? It's interesting. Coactive it actually was is a word that we use to define the kind of coaching we did, and the word didn't show up until ten years after we uh, started when we when we first wrote our first book. Um, the word showed up, but what we've decided as we've as the years have gone by is we've defined coactive as um, the basic, most simple definition is it's putting being and doing together um, and being first. So it's like looking at how you be, how 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 what our behaviors are, what it is that makes us up, what is it, who are we when we're present and connected. And then adding doing to that, and most of life, most of other most other uh, businesses and places and ways of teaching and coaching always put the doing first, the doing and the performing, all that kind of stuff became more important than the being. And we sort of flipped the model a little bit, and we put the who you who you are being is is as important, if not more important, at least or at least first um, to who you're what you're doing. And so that became the definition of co became being, active became doing, and the hyphen between co and active is the is the paradox is holding the being and doing together. And that, model, and that model has really worked over the years. Now, what were your, when you started this business and you took that leap out of the acting world in New York and that sort of stuff, and you you started uh, the CTI. Tell us a little bit about the growth of the business, where, you know, how it's changed and where it is today. I got to tell you, uh, we never thought when we were first starting out that we were going to be an international, you know, global corporation that had uh, taught courses. We now teach our courses in, in, in like at least seven or eight different languages and in 27 to 30 countries in the world. I mean, it's like, uh, we, we've gotten just huge and we have a, you know, big staff and faculty and all that kind of stuff. And we never imagined that back in 1992, we just imagined, uh, putting a workshop together for our students. And, and then, <laughs> it's so kind of we, small, kind of small, something you could do. And it just kind of exploded. Yes, sort of on the weekends when we weren't coaching, right? That was sort of the, <laughs> how it started. And, uh, what happened was, people are, are the participants or, or students in the courses kept asking for more. So they would, at, and so we organically grew 
um, and, and, and as a result of uh, um, our, our people asking for more. And in their asking for more, they were also asking for more specifics. Like when we first started out, we didn't have any models or books, you know, but as, as, as we kept growing, they kept asking for more specifics, more graduate stuff, more, more, more information. And so we produced books and we produced, you know, uh, uh, more programs. Uh, we produced all sorts of things along the way to make, make, to satisfy the, the desire of our students to have more learning. Well, you, you, how we grew. you, well, you certainly uh, are a great example of, uh, of one of the critical skills called production. And that's uh, taking an idea and uh, taking that idea and then taking it to reality. Yes. It's not gen. It's not just. It's not a simple uh, straight line. It's there's bumps and bruises along the way, and yes. uh, what what started out as a simple idea of I want a coach, and I have a model. I need some workshops. To what you've created is an example, beautiful example of of the production skill. Thank you. And the other thing about the production skill, I think I'm imagining is. It's harder work than people think it is. Oh yes, oh yeah. To move something from nothing to something, you know, oh, to yeah. move to move from an idea to a, a a company. There's there's you have to work hard. You have to invest time. You have to, you know, in the early days, we, we would do our workshops at various different locations, and we would we always wanted our workshops to be on carpet. Yet a lot of the event spaces that we used had rock or wood floors so we had to put carpets rolls on top of our car and all of our supplies <laughs> in our car and take it and then unroll the carpet <laughs> and that was hard work you know <laughs> oh, i'm sure it was i'm yeah. sure it was and you know over the years and then after you and and karen uh wrote your book about the coactive coaching uh process and so forth you developed what you called a coactive model yes uh Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, the uh, we were uh, we did most of our uh, course design and program design on retreat. We would go off in the country and go on retreat, and uh, this was like the second or third retreat. We second retreat, I think it was the main retreat that we did, and we were um, walking on the beach. We knew we had to come up with a model. You know, we we didn't know what it was. We didn't know where to start looking. We were out walking on the beach because we were on the California coast. And uh, um, the first thing that happened was I, I, Karen and Laura were walking ahead. Karen had joined our business by this time. My wife, who's Karen, who's now my wife and my co-author, uh, had joined our business. And we were all off on retreat. And I was leaning against a rock and they were going forth and sort of looking at what was on the beach. And they came back and I, and I sort of just popped out of my head. I said, I think that the three, the three things that we should name our advanced courses after are uh, fulfillment, balance, and process. And then I explained to them what I meant by fulfillment, balance, and process. And that those are three principles that every coach knows that they're gonna work on with every client, <laughs> you know, those three principles. And those became the heart of our model. You know, uh, and so we knew fulfillment and balance process were in the heart of the model. And then the next thing that we looked at was the, uh, on the beach were these starfish. 
<laughs> and, and there were literally starfish all over the place. And, and, and we knew the story about starfish. And the story was, you know, uh, that a man came down to meet another man. And the other man on the beach was throwing starfish that were up on the beach back in the water. And he said, and the other man saw all these starfish that this man was, and said, you can't possibly throw them all back and save them. And he said, I can this one. <laughs> so it was, it, at that point, it became very much uh, about the one-on-one -on -one nature of coaching, that the client is the star. At the heart of the client is the three principles. And then what the is fulfillment, balance, balance and process. process. Yes. And then on the points of each star, we recognize the four basic, five basic contexts, which leads to all the coaching skills, um, uh, intuition, listening, uh, deepening the learning and forwarding the action, uh, self-management and uh, curiosity. Curiosity. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I'm a certified coach, Henry. You trained me. Um, thank you. And so, and then there are a whole series of skills that developed under each of those contexts. And then we needed to create a container to contain the whole thing. And the container was uh, the design, consciously designed alliance, the circle around the star. Yeah. But then what we realized is we needed a foundation uh, that would be the uh, sort of the philosophical foundation that the whole, all our models sit on top of. You know that all the models we developed later and all that kind of stuff and those are the four cornerstones yeah. that are that we are just crucial to all the work we do at cti the first cornerstone which is phenomenal in itself is that people are naturally creative resourceful and whole that they're born that way which is just a phenomenal thing like most they're not born wrong you're not yeah. person's not born wrong. They're born this amazing being that's already got their all their stuff together. And the job of a coach is just to bring that out. Second principle is dancing in this moment. And dancing in this moment is uh, about non-attachment and about being where you are right now, not and able to be flexible there. Then focusing on the whole person, not just their job, not just their labels, but on the whole person is really the fourth principle. And the final principle is called evoke transformation. And this is the active principle that is really about not forcing change, but evoking it, like bringing it forth, calling it forth, having it be something that comes out of the client. So that or the person you're talking to, like because it becomes the foundation for all human relationships. You know? Well, and that means that the, the good co-active coach recognizes the naturally creative, resourceful, and whole part of a person and, yes. and draws from that person the solutions to whatever issues they're dealing with, rather yes. than trying to solve their problems and provide a bunch of answers. Right. And that's the key to, to co-active coaching, from what I understand. It's one, it's one of the primary, I think it's the well, it's the philosophical key. Let's put it that way. There's other keys to the coaching, but it's for sure the philosophical key. You know, it's like you have to, we don't assume that people are broken or or, uh, or have problems or that kind of stuff. When we look at them, we assume that they're naturally creative, resourceful and whole. And so we're looking with them for their solutions, not their problems. Yeah. Now, Henry, as you look out over the world and uh, all the, uh, the coaches and so forth that have participated in CTI's training programs under, under what you developed over the past 30 years or whatever, describe your concept of the ideal co-active coach. 
What are the most important skills that a certified coactive coach must have? And, and, and then what is this certification thing? <laughs> a certification was something that developed later on in our, our, our business, sort of after the book came about, was uh, the idea that people wanted to have letters after their name. Yeah. That said they had accomplished a certain degree of competency in coaching and particularly in the kind of coaching we did, coactive coaching. And uh, it became, it started to become really important uh, after that, they, like companies started looking for that, those letters and stuff yeah. like that, because that meant they had a good, uh, that guy thing. And so, so do potential and so do potential clients. Yes. And clients too. Absolutely. Companies and companies and, and individual clients, absolutely both. And uh, um, so that's how certification, what, what the need for certification was. Um, and what, what the competencies that we developed for certification <clears throat> were primarily looking at that model we just talked about very briefly, but the model and making sure that they are the, the student or the certified person being certified is, is um, operating from that model. In other words, so, th so the, uh, are, are they being truly curious? Are they asking open-ended questions? Are they using their intuition? Are they, are they managing their own thoughts and problem solver things? Are they managing those? Are they, are they, are with, are, in every question they're asking, are they looking to forward the action and deepen the learning at the same time? Or are they just forwarding the action? So it's like looking at all those things at the, at the, and, and, then, and then most important of all, I think is listening. What's the nature of their listening? And we talk about listening at three different levels and we'd wanna be able to understand all those levels of listening, both the uh, level of listening to my own chatter yep. and my own stories, that's level one. Level two is being able to focus, do focused listening with the other person. And then level three listening is, is that, can I listen to the, uh, the field, the general area around the person and myself? Can I listen to what's happening around me because that's where I'm going to get my intuitions from, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, Henry, when, a, uh, when an individual hires a coactive coach, a coactive mm -hmm. certified coach, there has to be some sort of element of trust and that sort of stuff and understanding up front. And you, you, you talk about uh, something called a designed alliance. What, yeah. is that? what is that all about? That's really important. That is uh, one of our revolutionary ideas, in my own opinion, is what contains not only a coaching relationship, but I think contains any really um, dynamic and, and crucial relationship is a consciously designed alliance, meaning that we are, we are not assuming anyone's going to be a certain way. We are ongoingly designing the way we're going to be in relationship together, what I call our alliance. We're designing that constantly. And it, it's a matter of you asking me what you want and me asking you what uh, I want and, it's, and then negotiating and finding out, can we, can we provide that? Can we not provide that? And as we move forward, how do I want you to listen to me? How do, what, I want, what do I want you to pay attention to in what I'm saying? Next, all those kind of things are important in, in putting together an alliance or designing a relationship together consciously, rather than what most of us do with relationship is just sort of slip into whatever relationship happens you know it's yeah. like this we, we don't actually consciously create it or design it it's a it's it's a rather from what i understand a formal 
formal structure of trust, but it's also, as you, you alluded to, dynamic in that it can change. Yes, and, 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 and will change if you're staying present. You know, it's, <laughs> if you're dancing in this moment, it's going to always change. It's going to alternate. It's going to, some things are going to become more important. Some things are going to become less important as the relationship moves forward. But you don't know that unless you're being present and aware of the dynamic nature of the alliance, you know, that it's going to always be moving and changing. And a solid designed alliance and applying the principles of the coactive model makes a good, good coach. Now, looking, looking forward a little bit, you've extended the scope of CTI's mission into the world of leadership. Leadership development, leadership, yeah. Yeah, tell us what's that, what brought that about and, and what that is today. Well, coaching was very much a working with individuals one-on-one. -on -one. It was the idea was it was a one-on-one -on -one relationship, a, a very uh, a very consciously designed, as we talked about earlier, container for this relationship to happen. Uh, and what nat the natural evolution of coaches is, they start to get involved with with groups, you know, because they they get they get clients that want them to teach them what they're doing, or they you know all kinds of stuff happens. But they people start to get in, engaged and involved with groups and. Uh, coaching a group is possible, but leadership—what we discovered with leading groups—is that there's other skills and other things that are involved in um, leading that aren't necessarily in, in the dimension of coaching. You know, it's like that you don't necessarily use them. You know, uh, in in the dimension of coaching. And so we we saw, oh, there's a need here, and we also discovered the other thing is our our the other thing our customers started to ask us to do is teach us how to lead like we do. What we have a very unique leadership style at CTI, where we always have two leaders in front of the room and they're in this dance and, and uh, they're really authentic, genuine and real. And they feel like they've been leading together forever, even though sometimes uh, one leader has never even met the other leader, but they show up in front of the room and they have this amazing dance with each other. So our customers who were in those classes started saying, we want to learn to lead like that. So we created a leadership program. And then that began to have us um, explore how the leadership principles we use in front of a room of people also apply to corporations or to uh, government or to um, non-government NGOs, that kind of thing. And uh, all those places are wanting a new kind of leadership. The old leadership is starting to get um, calcified. You know, starting to it's starting to get uh, solid, and it's not working as we can see so much around us right now. And we say this new coactive leadership is a way to have leadership be distributed to everybody, so that every, we assume everyone has leadership competencies in them, and they just need to be developed. Well, when you talk about coactive leadership and so forth, you, you demonstrate that very effectively in the CTI training programs where you generally have two leaders yep. uh, leading a thing. They're co-leaders. Right. What, is a, what are co-leaders anyway? And by the way, they, they, they seem to lead, but they also dance in the moment too. Yep. Yeah, they do. They, 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 they're on the model. <laughs> yep, they certainly are. Model. Uh, and uh, it's a... Co-leaders, what's really great about co-leadership is that um, it be, we began it at the beginning having two leaders because we didn't want our 
our participants to model any one person as a coach. You know, we didn't want everyone to turn out like coaches like me. We wanted people to be coaches like they were, you know. And so we always presented two leaders with hopefully different points of view about things, you know, two individuals. Yeah. And then we discovered that not only does it not, it, not, not only does it pro not provide a model, which is we, we didn't want to do of leadership, it also um, creates a kind of relationship uh, between the leaders and between the participants uh, that is like being at a dining, uh, family dinner table. You know, it's, it's much more, uh, you've, you've, it creates a sense of belonging or a sense of uh, um, we're in this together thing when you have two leaders as opposed to one, you know, who's, who's usually the top of the pyramid or the old model of leadership, you know? So, uh, and we discovered that just really worked powerfully. And we have started to see it work powerfully in the world too, where we're, you don't, we can't necessarily have if yet, Ooh, slow down, Henry. <laughs> Getting, I get excited about this. I know you do, Henry. Just, just you're, you're doing great, man. You're doing great. <laughs> we haven't necessarily convinced many corporations to have co-leaders um, yet because it, it looks like it's a financial hump that they don't want to have to deal with. But we're starting to see companies start to get uh, different management structures where they're starting to have co-leaders. And one of the great things about co-leaders is uh, there's a kind of accountability that is there that's not there for a solo leader. You know, if because um, if one leader gets off vision or starts getting their ego starts getting too big or something, the other leader gets to pull them back and, and you know, because they're they're equals, they're co-leaders, they're, they're both after the same thing. And at the same time, they're holding each other accountable and holding each other uh, in relationship to the vision as opposed to in relationship to their what their ego wants. Yeah. Now, but now you also created a leadership program, CTI created the leadership program that, that yep. consists of uh, four immersive retreats. Correct. And uh, tell us a little bit about that and what's the intended outcome for someone who who completes that program? Well, one of the things we discovered is that the way leadership is taught in most other places is through case studies. You know, how it's like uh, you basically, <laughs> basically people are taught, you know, the way some other leader did it and your, your job is to learn how they did it so you can do it the same way. Um, but it doesn't necessarily bring forth your style of leadership. It doesn't bring, it doesn't have your, the leader in you be empowered and developed um, powerfully from the ground up, from the experience, experience of it itself, you know. Uh, so that's why we created the leadership program. We, we wanted to create a very physical, very uh, experiential program that was immersed in the context of everyone can be a leader and can be a leader at uh, um, all the levels of leadership that we that we talk about. And uh, uh, we take them through a uh, this immersive program, both, like you said, four retreats, each retreat's about a week long, close to a week long, and then about three months between each retreat where there's all kinds of uh, work and calls and that kind of stuff that keeps it going. So it's pretty much a 10 month program. And uh, it's uh, it immerses leaders in the context of co-active leadership. It puts them in that context and then takes them through lots of experiences, including <clears throat> adventure courses and uh, 
um, lots of one-on-one -on -one work, lots of understanding uh, who, who the leader is inside themselves and how, and training their instincts. What we want is, what we want is to have create instinctive leaders and coaches, not leaders and coaches that are doing it by the book. Well, you certainly have succeeded in that. And uh, it's a, you know, the bottom line is it's a terrifically transformative experience. Exactly. Know? And I can, I can tell you, uh, you know, personally from experience. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Now, um, what is, uh, what's your dream now for those who've completed the CTI training programs, coaching and or leadership, what, what in your dreams would you like them as a collective group to be able to accomplish? Well, uh, the initial dream of the vision of, of Laura, Karen and I back when we first started coaching was we wanted everyone in the world to either be a coach or have a coach. That was the initial dream. Uh, now it's really moved. It, it, it's not unlike that. It's, we still, that's still an awesome thing, still heading for that. However, we're also really interested in um, a world that's operating from the principles, the four cornerstones that we talked about, mm -hmm. and um, that politics is operating from that, that government is operating from that, that businesses are operating from that, you know, um, that operating from the, from the, not operating from the uh, idea of getting power over, but getting power within is what we're more interested in, in uh, increasing personal power in people. And I would love everyone to really know that they're the creators of their world, you know, and how, do, what's the world they're creating? You know, what, what are they doing? How are they, how are they being that creates the world they want to create? And so if I can have a world full of those people, even if I can get to what, what is the vaccination rate where you can, yeah, if you have 70 or 80%, you get to herd immunity. I think you get to 70, 80% of co-active and then well, the world- yeah, they were, were in good shape. They were in good shape. Well, Henry, how do you, how do you see the field of, uh, you've been in this business for quite a while. How do you see this field of coaching changing over the next decade or so? Well, it's changed so much already. For one thing, it's, a, a, it's be, when we first started out, uh, when we said we were a coach, they thought we were going to ask them to drop down and give them 50 push-ups. <laughs> um, and now coaching is a, is a term that's used broadly and used within organ blue chip organizations, blue, you know, you know, the, the, the fortune 500, I mean, the, the higher coaches that the big consulting companies now have coaching departments, you know? So it's like, it's a, it's a really acceptable um, it's become a really sort of, acceptable idea. Now, the next thing is getting government and politics and stuff like that to embrace it. But uh, that's, that's a little ways away. That, that part would be part of the dream. Well, that's uh, part of the production process. That's an yeah, idea. You got exactly. to make it happen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Henry, are there any other things that you'd like to discuss? I mean, uh, you know, I, I have been so impressed by how CTI conducts its uh, uh, training, you know, for, for coaches and so forth, that you start out with fundamentals and that you kind of give your people who are interested a, an appetizer, if you will, of different things. And then you take a deep dive in each one of the pr principles that you talked about, fulfillment, like what do you want to be when you grow up? What are your values and that sort of stuff? And then balance, 
you know, of uh, what are different perspectives from a different process and that sort of thing. And then I don't know about balance. What I love about balance, which is which is sometimes not talked about, is as much is balance is the process of moving from perspective to action. Yeah. In other words, like what is it, what do I need to do to get into action on something? How do I need to be at choice and be really clear that it's my choice and I'm moving forward on it? You know, it's like there's that whole process of action so that I'm not taking actions that are not actions that I want to take, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. And from different perspectives. And then there's, then there's what you call process, which is really the now. You really yep. get into the now. And yep. you don't leave the now. You get into the now and dig into it and stir it up and really work on that. And then when you finish those four, three or four day sessions for each one of those principles, fundamentals, fulfillment, balance, and process, you have another four day process thing called synergy where you kind of mix them all up and bring them together. Right. Because rarely is the pure form of a principle being worked on. It's usually a combination and that's a synergy of putting all those together because when those things all come together, uh, the coach that's produced is greater than the sum of those principles. You know, That's for sure. And that tra whole training, Henry, uh, and I want to compliment you and, and CTI for this, is that it's the, it's the contextual-based learning the learning by doing, not just sitting up and listening to a talking head lecture. You're yep. actually doing it. And that's why the retention is so great. And that's why your programs have been so successful. Thank you. And, and when you say contextually based, what, what I, how I respond to that is, is it's contextually based, experientially driven. In other words, that we soak, sink people into a deep context, and then we give them lots of experiences Yeah, within that context. And that has them actually train their instincts and their responses rather than their reactions and their, uh, you know, data learning stuff, you know. Well, Henry, how can someone get in touch with CTI if they happen to be interested in CTI coaching, coactive coaching, leadership, and that sort of stuff? www.coactive.com or info at coactive.com. And that seems, yeah, that seems simply simple enough. So, so hey, thank you so much, Henry, my friend, for being our guest today on It's All About Skills. And I want to thank all of you for listening today. And we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.